man, to, to be honest, like, I'm really, it's the first time I've been nervous when I spoke here because I, I've got to do notes. If you've been here and the other times I've spoken, I don't do notes. I just get up and go for it. Um, and it's, I guess, because I've always had freedom just to kind of speak on what I want before, but now we're in a Philippians series, so um, sometimes it's not always what's on your heart for the moment, but you, you honor the scripture anyway and what we're going through and you go for it. So I'm excited. Don't get me wrong. Like, I've loved putting those together. I've even got these things, slides. I never do them. And I've got to think about a clicker too. Oh, I better turn that on. So there's, lo- <laughs> there's lots I've got to think about. <laughs> so, yeah, but, and it's, um, is Alana Gimmel here? I don't think, ah, oh, awesome. I haven't met you properly. So putting this together, um, it was a little bit challenging in that because it's quite new or different for me. And I, this morning while I was getting ready and about to come here, um, usually I put my phone away and I, don't, I just get away from anything and I just focus on what I've got to bring and share here. And Tash said, oh, you've got a message on your phone. And I saw it, I thought, I'll just, I'll just leave it for after church. But she goes, oh, it might be a word from God. So I uh, opened it up and it was from Alana. And like I said, I haven't met her properly yet and she doesn't know me, I don't really know her. And I opened the message and um, she said, oh, I, had a, I had a dream last night that you were preaching. And so I looked at the roster and saw that you're preaching this morning. And she said, I saw that you've had difficulty with the preparation, but um, I want you to know that um, Holy Spirit was going to move through your, your words this morning. And um, it was, yeah, it's cool. Like I, um, yeah, I had, I had a little bit of a, of a cry and I feel like I want to have a little cry now, but, and it's not because it's like a relief, but it's. God cares about even little things like that. Like, it might be insignificant to some, but for me, it was like, man, it's just a reminder again of how much he loves me and how much he loves us. And um, you, can never, you can never get over his love or outgrow his love. So, yeah, so thank, thanks heaps. Um, praise God for people like Alana. And I know that she has many dreams for many people that I've heard. So it's just, it's really awesome, man. I'm really grateful. The alarms were going off earlier today as well. And the last time the alarms went off was the last time I spoke and the last time that Sam was leading. And so uh, it's this duo here, man. Like, this guy was saying, oh, yeah, enemies just raising the alarms and <laughs> that Sam and Lee duo. But, uh, hey, just, it's, it is what it is. You roll with it and, hey, uh, seize the moment. God is good nonetheless. So, clickers, notes, awesome. Let's go. Oh, so today, <laughs> today we're talking about how to build spiritual fitness. So continuing on from our Philippians series here. And my clicker's gone flat, bro, I think. Yeah. So I might just uh, might have to get you to do it. Batteries flashing there. Cool. All right. So if we can go to the next one, please, bro. So uh, Tash and I, we are we're personal trainers. We have our own um, studio just down here at Papa Kofi. So we work from home and we get to work with uh, different people. It's kind of the best of both worlds, like you guys have seen, and I've shared a bit about my heart and passion with uh, supernatural healing. But this is kind of the the physical of it, if you like, as well. So we're getting the best of both worlds and. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, it's, it's a, real, a real blessing to be part of. And actually, we get to have some of you cool people along that, that come along as well. So uh, we've got our sister, Stacy, who is currently doing some training with us. Thanks, bro. <laughs> so there's Stacy. Yeah, look at that. Look at that form. Excellent spine there. Just that biceps coming through. She's looking awesome. And it's, uh, it's just sure. it's cool. That's all right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. We'll play with it. Uh, and then we've also got uh, Mr. Jack and Sally. Was that me, bro? Was that you? Oh, cool. Thanks, bro. So we've got Jack and Sally here. I want you to look at that left bicep there of Jack. 
amazing, stands out just as much as his, his moustache. And uh, poor Sally, they're taking the brunt of it. But we've had Jack and Sally come along too, which is awesome. And every now and then we have a little trainer come along, uh, little Miss Taya. So as you can see, she's got her eyes focused on the clock, making sure that Sally holds that plank and does not drop. <laughs> Excellent, we love that. Uh, we also have uh, a bit of a super lady here, Miss Minilyn. She's got the superhero top, or Superman top. She's got the dark shades and she's got the cap. Now that's mysterious. Sometimes when I see her punching those mitts, I think, Mad Nat, what did you do this morning, bro, to make her <laughs> punch like that? Uh, then we've also had uh, Adam and Ophelia. Now, I don't know what's going on here. Those guys are doing sit-ups, push-ups. It looks like these guys are playing under the bushes or some sort of, like, <laughs> hand clap thing. Uh, then we've also got Mighty Meg. Yeah. So we, we've not had the, the privilege of knowing her as long as a lot of you guys have. And from what I've heard, um, she's often quite a shy, timid, reserved one. But we've seen her just flourish and so much confidence and being a part of the other ladies there, just the way that she interacts and really includes people. It's been really, really, really exciting for Tasha and I to see. So that's just, that's awesome. Uh, and then we have uh, Mr. Sergeant Slaughter himself, old Steve there. <laughs> Got his Terminator glasses on, and he's just pumping out those mountain climbs. Great form, high in those knees. Excellent. And then we've also just got last one, just my, my little sumo wrestler over here. That's my boy, Riley. And uh, it's, just, it's just cool. It's nice to uh, have a lot of the church family come along and support and, and be a part of what God's doing with us. And we just, yeah, we just really love it. Anyway, so today we're talking about how to build spiritual fitness, and there are many metaphors that we can use between fitness and faith, and faith and fitness, and there's so many lessons you can take from one and then apply to the other and back and forth, and so there's things like commitment, like attentiveness, like discipline, having patience, putting in the work, and, and having a clear goal, and in fact, 1 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says, exercise yourself towards godliness, train yourself towards godliness. And he uses imagery like an athlete running a race or a fighter fighting the good fight. And so today we're talking about spiritual fitness. So why do I need to be spiritually fit? Well, we're going to expand on the, over the answer this morning, but very briefly from the get-go, it's, it's twofold. Number one, it determines how well you and I live this life of faith. And number two, it determines how well our life of faith influences others, and specifically non-believers, unbelievers. And so really, to put it simple, I want to be able to shine my light so well and hope that I can light up the path for those in darkness and help to guide them out of that to the light. Does that make sense to you? So it's about others encountering Jesus. I want my life, I want to be spiritually fit so that I can help others to encounter Jesus. I want people to know Jesus. I want people to see Jesus in my life. I want people to hear him, feel him when they're around me. I want people to see him, to encounter him because I know what it's like to be in darkness. I know what it's like to be there. We all do. And coming to the light, you can't help but want to share that. You can't help but want others to come to that place too. So it's always about the two reasons. We want to shine well, and we want to be able to light up the path for those in darkness so that they can come to the light as well. So before we get into it, I want to show you one of our clients' results. So this next one here, this is a guy named Mutter. He was from Auckland, and I coached him online over a three-month period. Awesome results, but what I'm, what I'm impressed about most, and this is general anyway, I always love the process of something. There's, the results are great, but I'm, I'm always about the process. I want to know the process. And for this guy, he only trained three times a week, 45 minutes max. Uh, he didn't do any cardio. He didn't take any supplements, and he still got to eat carbs. And so impressive the way that he did that. And it's, I want to I use this image as imagery of our spiritual condition, if you like, because if you were talk to Mata before, in his own words, he was just easygoing, going with the flow, just enjoying life, having fun, no real intentionality, just living. 
But then you have him after who decided to have purpose. He had deliberateness. He had intentionality. And he decided to pursue a, different, a specific goal. And you can see the difference here. You see, one is committed. One is comfortable. One is ignorant. One is intentional. One is lazy. One is lively. One is apathetic. One is attentive. One is just going with the flow. One is going with focus. One is just, just living in the moment. One has a clear, crystal clear goal. One of them was fearful for his life. The other one was faithful to changing his life, and that he did indeed. After three months after that, he entered into his first marathon and participated in it. He went on to drop a heck of a lot more weight. Completely different guy. Why? Because of his focus. Same guy, two different approaches to life. And so what I want to ask you and I is, which one do you want to be? Or if we go a step further, which one are you? in terms of your spiritual condition. All right, so if we can go to the next slide, we're just going to go through the scripture that we're going through today, and this is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 16. And it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. All right, so the first step, if you like, we're going to go through a few steps here, but the first step to building spiritual fitness is that you must lift weight. If you want to lose fat, if you want to get stronger, you want to get healthier, you must lift weight. And what I mean when I say that is you must do something. It's not enough just to talk about it. Don't just say I want to be healthier. Don't just say I want to lose weight. Don't just say I want to be stronger. Do something about it. Don't talk about it. Be about it. It's not some passive approach. It's a very proactive, sometimes aggressive approach. It's hands-on. You've got to do something. And it's the same when it comes to our faith. In verse 12, Paul says, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. Work it out. Do something about it. It's the equivalent of what we mean when we say today, walk it out. Walk it out. Walk out your Christian faith. Don't just talk about it. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about aspects of the kingdom. Walk it out. Live it. Show it. Shine it through your life. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. In James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, so deceiving yourselves. I find it interesting that he relates deception to one who hears but does not do to one who knows but does not do. According to James, that's equivalent of deceiving yourself. In chapter 2, verse 17, he says, Faith without works is dead. Verse 18, Show me your faith without works. I will show you my faith by my works. And in verse 22, talking about Abraham, he says, Faith was working together, and that by works, faith is made perfect. So what we see here is that faith and works are two sides of the same coin. You cannot claim to have faith and not have the outworking of that as well because they go hand in hand. Without it, it's a dead faith because faith without action is dead. They always go hand in hand. For example, you can say that you believe that Jesus heals the sick and yet you never pray for the sick. What you're claiming to is right. It's true. It's good. Jesus heals the sick, but there's no works or outworking of that. That's a dead faith, at least at the moment. It's not alive yet. But be encouraged because verse 22, he says, faith working together with works and that by faith, sorry, by works, faith is made perfect. So what that meaning is, 
That which you claim to, as you outwork it, that faith is made perfect, meaning it gets stronger, more resilient, more confident, more integrity. And I found that to be true in my life, that as I've pursued praying for the sick, my confidence to pray for the sick has only grown. It's been made perfect. By works, faith is made perfect. Does that make sense to you? So be encouraged that if there's something that you claim to believe, but there's not an outworking of it yet, you can initiate that, or you can bring that faith to life. You can make it perfect by outworking it. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. Do something. Now, now, please don't hear... Thanks, bro. Please don't hear this and misunderstand what I'm saying or what James is saying. Paul doesn't say to work for salvation. He says to work out your salvation. There's a difference. Mm. Salvation isn't something we work for. Rather, salvation produces an outworking for us, produces good works. And it's, it's a fundamental truth, hopefully, that we all have of the Christian faith, that we're saved by grace that works through faith and not by works. All right? Instead, it's, it's we, we allow that empowerment of grace, if you like, to cause an outworking of that faith for us. And oftentimes, and I've got the little formula up here, oftentimes religion will pitch it like this, faith plus works equals grace or equals salvation. That you've got to have the belief for it, but then you, always, you also must do something before you can experience grace. Where the gospel says actually your faith equals grace equals works. Meaning faith is the entry point to experiencing grace. Grace is the empowerment to then do the good works. Does that make sense to you? So faith equals works equals, sorry, faith equals grace equals works. And often, and Tasha and I, I'm pretty tough on myself. Like I'm one, I'm not afraid to really get critical about myself in healthy ways uh, mostly. But often if I, if I have a faith claim, I say I believe in somebody, but I don't have the works for it, then I question the genuineness of that faith. If that faith is genuine, then I question, okay, what is hindering the work of grace in that? What's blocking that? And so it's faith equals grace equals works. And because uh, a genuine faith claim will always cause an outworking of works. Faith without works is dead. Often what we'll do today, and I've seen it across the board. I've been Christian for 10 years now, and I've been in different circles, been around it. And often what I've seen is many people will camp at this place, and they'll call it grace. But to be honest, it looks a lot like inactivity. And I'm concerned that it's a false grace. It's a counterfeit grace. Many times we hijack the term grace and we apply it to our own agendas and we give ourselves validation to be in inaction and passiveness and weakness and laziness and to not enter into or to cover up, if you like, our unwillingness to outwork it. Please do not use grace, which is beautiful in itself, as a term to fit your own agendas. Because true grace will always empower you to outwork that which you claim to believe. True grace will always produce an outworking and outflowing of that grace. Why? So that that faith is made alive. Why? So that that faith can then produce good works. Why? So that your works would bring glory to your Father in heaven around those who see you. So it's very important. Please do not misuse that term and hijack it for our own agendas. One of my favorite men of God, Dan Dan Moller. He says that grace without transformation is a perversion. Grace will always cause transformation. (laughs) Grace without transformation is a perversion. It's a perverted grace. It's not authentic grace. The evidence of genuine faith is always good works, and specifically works empowered by grace, not works striving for grace. The end result of genuine faith is always an outworking of works, an outworking of your own salvation. And then, like James, we can say, 
my faith is evidence of my works and my faith, a faith that is alive and not dead. Many times when I've prayed for people, whether it be at supermarkets, on the streets, I'll pray for them. And often a comment they'll say to me is, wow, you really believe God heals, don't you? And yet I never told them that. But they saw that through my works. My works are evidence to you. Show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by my works. I didn't have to say a thing. And they knew. They could see what I claim to believe, my yeah. faith. So it's having a, an active faith, a faith that is alive. Because genuine faith always leads to deeds. It's not just thinking. It's not just talking. It's not just feeling. You must do something about it. In the Amplified Version, it says this. It says to cultivate it. Bring it into full effect. Actively pursue spiritual maturity. It's action. It's actively pursuing spiritual maturity. And it's not being comfortable with where you are, but it's having, an, it's having an unsatisfiable hunger for more. And know that there is always more, my friend. There is always, always so much more for us to discover in him. The next one is J.C. Ryle. He's an Anglican bishop of the 1800s, and he said this, The gospel which we possess was not given to us only to be admired, talked of, and professed, but to be practiced. <laughs> the proclamation of your lips must be practiced through your life. There must be works to your words. Don't let the tongue in your mouth become bigger than the tongue in your shoe. They go together. Share your faith. Don't hide it under a basket. Put it on a lampstand. Let people know. Let people see who you are and whose you are. The next one, Smith Wigglesworth, he once said this, if it's in the Bible, it is so. It's not even to be prayed about. It's to be received and acted upon. Inactivity is the robber that steals blessings. Increase comes by action, by using what we have and know. Your life must be one of going on from faith to faith. Many times we will substitute obedience for prayer. And we'll pray for things that he's already blessed and commissioned us to do, but in fear of not wanting to outwork it or in our passiveness or in our laziness or in our unwillingness, we will resort to prayer and ask him to do it, yet he's already commissioned us to do it. Hmm. Inactivity is the robber that steals blessings. If it's in there, it's not even to be prayed about. It's to be received, acted upon. Hmm. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. So what are you doing with your faith? How are you outworking it? Are you actively pursuing spiritual maturity and do the people around you whether it's at your workplace or your school or your sports team do they see Jesus in you and if they don't yet recognize it as Jesus do they at least see something beautifully heavenly different about you how are you showing your faith because remember few things in life happen by accident especially the important things they happen by deliberateness attentiveness and taking responsibility don't just talk about it be about it so that's the first step to being spiritually fit is you've got to lift weight. You've got to do something. And be encouraged that as you do it, like I said, your faith is made perfect. It can be scary. I'm aware of that. But as you do it, you grow in strength. So be encouraged that as you work out that which you claim or that which you really desire, it's made perfect. It grows in strength, confidence, resilience. It's a beautiful thing. Don't shy away from it. The second step to building spiritual fitness is that you must measure your progress. Now, with our clients, every week we have them measure their progress, and they're having to measure body parts and jump on scales and even take photos. And to be honest, it can be a very confronting experience for a lot of them because they're seeing numbers that they don't want to see or they're having to 
uh, confront scale weight that they don't want to know is even there. And so it's a very confronting thing. And oftentimes you have to be very humble and willing to follow that process with us. And the reason why we ask that is because when we get an idea of what's going on with your body, how you're adjusting to foods, how is the diets and trainings working for you, we can then jump in and make adjustments so that you can keep progressing, but also progress at the quickest pace possible. So it's always for good. As confronting as it is, it's extremely helpful and beneficial overall. And the same is when it comes to our faith. In verse 12, Paul says, with fear and trembling. This is the remainder of that verse. He says, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In the Amplified Version, it says, using serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might discredit the name of Christ. So like our clients who are having to confront their physical conditions, we also, if you like, have to confront our spiritual conditions at times to confront areas of our hearts, our attitudes, our behaviors, our thought lives, sometimes even our lifestyles. And it's very confronting. Are we humble enough and willing enough to confront them and deal with them? Are there any areas of your life right now that might discredit the name of Christ? And I'm not... Yeah, it's gone real silent just then. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying to be sin conscious. Don't hear that and, and say, I'm not being sin conscious. If you look for problems and you look for issues, you'll find them. And it's a rabbit hole that will just spiral down and it'll, make, it'll leave you worse off. I'm not saying be sin conscious. We're Christ conscious. We're following him. But don't be surprised that as you follow him, if the light of his life and his love illuminates or exposes areas of your hearts, your attitudes, or your behaviors that are not yet sanctified to him, if you get what I mean. Don't be surprised if that pops up. And so there's two people, I guess, or two groups of people that I'm talking about in this. There are those who are following him, and maybe this has been for a lot of our experiences. It's definitely been mine. As I've followed him, things that were unknown to me would come to the surface, and I've got to deal with that. I've got to confront that. So there's that group of people who are pursuing him, and there is unknown sin, for lack of a better word. There's unknown sin within their lives and their hearts. But then there's another group of people, and these are the ones who are in deliberate, willful sin. They know better. And they know that they know that they know this is not the way of Christ. This is not holy. This is not pleasing to him. And often they'll say, comment, and maybe you guys have had conversations like this, they'll say things like, oh, well, it's harmless. It doesn't affect anybody else. And it's my business anyway. It's nothing to do with you. Why are you in this? No, my friend. Please don't react that way. Proverbs fourteen twelve says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in destruction. It can seem right. It can seem harmless. And sure, it is your own business. And, and, and who am I to come in and judge and, and be that, even though that's not the intent or motive? But there's a way that seems right, but it ends in destruction. And that's the enticement of sin, is that it gets us to want to enjoy it. Then it gets us to crave it, really want it. And then when in our, in our minds it becomes harmless, that's when sin will do its full work in you. And that's when it becomes painful, destructive, and very hurtful. And look, it's... it's these are, I call them the big, the big threes, the big three S's, sin, sex, and selfishness. We rarely talk about these things in the church. I've rarely ever heard it talked about. And the saddest thing about that is that we are silent on this. Hollywood, MTV, Google, YouTube, they've got no problem blasting it on the regular. They talk about it loudly and proudly and unapologetically, and we're silent about it. And I understand that, but if we are silent about it, that's the only perspective younger generations and generations after get. And if that's the only perspective they get, then we wonder why we have so much conflict, so much compromise, so much hurt, so much loss of identity, because it's the only perspective they're ever hearing. And we're supposed to be the people of God who have the truth and give them another perspective, another option to weigh up. But when we're silent about it, what do you expect? 
And then we have the audacity to point the finger at them and say, oh, you foolish young people, how dare you do this, without realizing that maybe our silence has contributed to their pain. It's not a good thing, man. But at the same time, I understand it. Maybe you guys have experienced that. I've experienced it where we have seen the misuse of terms like these or, or repentance or godliness terms. We've seen the way that these topics have been presented or preached in a way that seemed to be motivated by judgment, condemnation, and hate. And I've seen the way that it's devastated people, not just individuals, but even families. And so in fear of not wanting to reproduce that, we shut shop altogether. I understand that. But listen. The correct response to misuse is not non-use. It's right use and right motive of use. And I can probably guarantee that all of us in here have that motive of sincere love. We don't want to judge. I don't want to condemn you. I don't want to tell you how to live your life. But I do want to love you. I do want to give you truth because only truth will set you free. But if we are silent about it, then why do we get upset if they're in bondage and yet we don't give them the truth? Have to be willing. We've got to be willing, guys to measure progress. It's not from judgment. It's not from hate. It's a sincere love. It's a love for people. And like I said, if we are silent about it, what do we expect? Martin Luther King, he says, in the end, we remember not the words of our friends, but the silence, sorry, not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And then he says, sometimes silence becomes betrayal. Ah, man. We can't afford to be silent on this, especially topics like this. These are powerful desires. And they have massive implications, especially when they don't come under the Lordship of Christ. I hope you're hearing me in this, guys. I'm trying to give it with grace at least. It's not, not the easiest topic to talk about, but I hope you hear my heart on this. Uh, J.B. Light, Lightfoot, he's a theologian of the 1800s, and he commented on this particular passage, and he said, it's a nervous and trembling anxiety to do what's right. It's not just avoiding sin because I'm afraid of the consequences of it, but rather it's, I want to do what's right. I want to do what's holy and pleasing for him. I, I have a passion for truth. I want to shine him well. It's motivated by goodness, and I understand that even in my own heart, if there are areas of my life that are still imprisoned by sin, there are areas that are not yet infected by his love. Any areas of my life that are still joined to sin are not yet areas joined to him, and I want to be fully joined to him. I want to be fully enveloped by his love. I want to be so saturated by everything that he is that people, know, they can tell without a doubt who I am and who I follow. And so it's not motivated just by fear of the consequences, but it's I'm so in love with him and I so desire to be one with him that anything that hinders that, I want it to be dealt with. I want to confront it. I want to remove it out the way. I remember just just popped into my head, but I remember when I was at school before I was a Christian, and I, I knew people, I had friends who, who claimed Christian, but honestly, they didn't live it, and they didn't look no different than me, and so I remember I kind of look at them and go, bro, you're no different than me, so I don't really want what you have, like, you can have your title, your Christian label, that's cool, but I don't want what you have, it wasn't attractive to me, and I guess that's one of the reasons why, to avoid discrediting the name of Christ, why it's important to really sanctify our lives towards him. Nat, I went, we went, I went to school with Nat, um, just in case you guys don't know. We weren't close friends or anything. But the thing about this guy, we were in the same physics class, is this was one guy who actually lived it with integrity. He was one of maybe two or three that I can recall who actually lived the Christian faith with integrity. I remember hearing him talk to people about Jesus in classroom, and I always had respect for him because I saw him live it out too. Whereas friends and bros, they would talk about it, you know, like booty call on Saturday and then altar, altar call on Sunday. It's like such a, a, a contrast in how they, what they say and what they live. But this guy actually lived it. And I find it amazing that years after, we had joined with you guys because one guy I remember from back then I have respect for. Wow. 
even though I wasn't a Christian then, but I respected the way that he lived with integrity. Sure. That was attractive to me. And so I wouldn't be surprised if the same, like me, others who aren't Christian then, have that same view and perspective. It's an attractive thing when you can walk in integrity and actually be set apart, not just in the world. Well, sorry, not just in the world, but not of it. You, you get what I'm saying. I'm going off a bit there. Renowned author and theologian A.W. Tozer, he once said this. He said, an honest man with an open Bible and pad and pencil is sure to find out what is wrong with him very quickly. And the way that I kind of understand that is just, again, it's honesty. It's having a, a humility to confront areas of our lives that need to be confronted and dealt with because justification should always lead to sanctification. And I've said this before that salvation is me recognizing my need for the cross, but sanctification is me carrying my cross. And daily we're called to, ca to carry our cross. It's a daily process, a walking out, a working out, if you like, of our salvation. So ask yourself with serious caution and critical self-evaluation, are there any parts of our lives that possibly discredit the name of Christ, unknowingly or intentionally? And when areas do prop up, are you humble and willing enough to confront those areas, to measure your progress? So that's the second step to spiritual fitness, is you've got to measure your progress. Third step to spiritual fitness is that you must trust the trainer. So one of the things as a trainer, it's not just our expertise and our knowledge of how to train, but it's things like motivation, accountability, um, somebody to turn to, giving you the extra push when you can't always get it on your own. And oftentimes we will challenge you, and Tasha's good at this, she would challenge people, not just to challenge them, but to expose to them or show them how much more potential they have, not just for in the gym, but actually in life. And we're also like unofficial therapists and counselors. Like many a time, we just cancel a session and we'll sit down and we'll chat with somebody because you're dealing with people in quite close proximity, if you like, and in quite intimate ways. And so we, we pretty much empower people, not just towards their goals, but also to achieve their goals. We empower them in that we don't just <coughs> motivate them to do it, but we also supply them with the tools. And the same as when it comes to our faith. We've got the ultimate personal trainer. Man, Holy Spirit, that guy's the man. He's, he's the man the one who teaches us, who leads us into all truth, who comforts us, who stirs up the image of Christ in us, help us to manifest the love of God. I love that guy, man. So we have the ultimate personal trainer. And in verse 13, Paul says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now that excites me because it tells me that the godly desires that we have and the desires we have for the kingdom, we know where they come from. They come from the Father of lights. They come from above, and that's exciting. But it also excites me because when I hear people say things like, oh, I really want to uh, do, do something for God. I really want to serve. I really want to do a mission or whatever. That excites me because what I'm seeing is evidence of the hand of God on the heart of an individual. And I like that. I really like it. And sometimes it's cute because I hear people who, who will say, oh, man, I really want to really step out in this or in that. And, but then they'll say, oh, but I don't know if God's speaking to me. I'm like, oh, dude, he's speaking to you. Like, that, that's evidence there that he's speaking to you, but maybe not in the way that, that you would recognize it anyway. And so I really like it. And notice how it says that he gives us both the will and then to do. So he gives us a willingness first before the doing. There's nothing more cringy than a grumbling Christian who's just like, oh, another Sunday. I guess I better put a message together. Or oh, I'm kids' church this weekend. I better muster up some energy and passion. There's nothing like, ah, oh, cringy. Then somebody who's just doing it because I feel obligated to do it. 
And so he gives us a willingness first. And that makes sense because we're to do things with love, and without love it's nothing. So he inspires in us a willingness first. So get excited. If you feel like a real desire or there's a willingness in, in you to either go out for words of knowledge or pray for the sick or to go on missions or do something for the kingdom, get excited because that's the hand of God working on your heart, giving you a willingness, and then he also gives you the ability to do. It's really, it's, oh, I, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I remember... I would have been about six months old in the Lord, and I'd met this guy, and he was moving powerfully in words of knowledge, and I'd see the way that people were so impacted, and I, I'm, I'm a guy who loves efficiency, and so for me, if I can do things shorter, better, I'll, I'll go for it, and so I saw the way that people would connect to God through words of knowledge, and so in my mind, I think, I want that, because if I can connect them to God that quick, then I don't have to worry about six months of building rapport and building a friendship. I can just, boom, hit them, like give them God straight away. And so I was invited to speak at this house group, six months old in the Lord. Um, I shared my testimony, and then I decided beforehand, I'm going to go out in words of knowledge. And so there were five people there, and I was like, bang, 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 like giving them words of knowledge. And I kind of sat there feeling cool, and they all laughed. And this older guy in there, they're all Christian, by the way, he laughed. I got all of them wrong. And he said, he said you couldn't have been more wrong. And he laughed in my face. <laughs> I thought, wow, way to build up and edify the body, brother. Like, I felt so defeated, man. I felt so down and, and out. All five of them, I got wrong. I went home that night just feeling like the false prophet in all life. And over the next three days, I worked this out with God. And I wasn't angry at God, and I wasn't angry at them or anything, but I was more like, you know my heart. I really want to do this. I want people to meet with you. It's not the wow factor of, like, trying to be a psychic, but I love the way that people connect with you and, and why didn't happen it. And over the next three days, what God taught me and showed me was what was me trying to muster up something in my own strength and my own perception and what was actually his voice. He helped me to clarify and distinguish what was him and what was me. And what I've learned since then is that more times than not, when God gives me a word of knowledge, it's quite a fleeting, fast like thought. Like it'd almost be like, oh, what was that? And so I've learned to distinguish over time. But over these three days, he really, really helped me to understand the difference. A day after that, I was invited to go along to a church leaders meeting. There's about 20 of them there. And I actually went along with a, a friend who was going, and he just had to come along with him. And so I went along to this church leaders meeting. And I can't remember if I interrupted or if there was just silence, and I kind of jumped up. But I, anyway, I said, oh, I think I've got some words of knowledge for, for, for people. And so I get up, and all 20 people just bang, bang, bang. And some were like with prophecy as well, words of knowledge. At the end, all 20 of them said, I got it right. That was the best feeling, man. That was so cool. And I, it was five I got wrong, and then God blesses me with 20. Like, is that fourfold? Yeah? yeah Something like that. Right. But 20, 20 right. Yeah. And it was so cool because I'd had this major failure, if you like, yeah. but I'd nutted it out with God, and I'd learned a valuable lesson, which then helped me in the next run to get it right. Yeah. And it was awesome. But my point is, is that, when he gives you the willingness, the way that you connect it to do is you've got to take action. You've got to go to grow. I got it wrong, but I didn't stop. I kept going. And in that going, I was growing. I learned more. I've learned a different side. And as I've gone, boom, it works out. You've got to go to grow. And it's, I remember Pete shared this off the cuff once, and he said, the word of God is a lamp to our feet, not a spotlight ahead. Many times we want to see the full path. We want to know what's out ahead, but really he's a lamp to our feet. And so sometimes we don't even know the next step. All we see is here and now. But as you step out, as you go, the rest of the path begins to unveil itself as you like. But you've got to go to grow. The just live by faith. It's exactly what it is. 
In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says, By his divine power, he has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So really, really, we're, out, we're without excuse. <laughs> everything supplied gives us a willingness. He gives us the, the ability to do. And then he gives us everything we need for godly life and living. So if there are things in your life that you, you feel a willingness or stirring for, and we've seen it before, like people now, there seems to be more growing and wanting to uh, move in words of knowledge and prophecy and praying for the sick. That's evidence of the hand of God working in your heart. Whatever you find that is stirring in you, there's a willingness in you for something, get excited. God's moving in you. He's shaping you. He's molding you. And the way that you bridge that towards do, you've got to take action. You've got to go to grow. Does that make sense? Cool. You can always trust his heart even when you cannot trace his hand. He's, he's faithful. He's faithful. All right. The fourth step to building spiritual fitness is that you've got to be patient. Many a time we'll get clients who will complain and progress isn't moving as quickly as they like or the way that they want it to be. And more times than not, we just have to say, hey, look, be patient. And it's a polite way of saying, be quiet, stop complaining, just get on with it and, and trust the process. And the same as when it comes to our faith. Verse 14, Paul says, do all things without complaining and disputing. I'm not going to spend too long here, but really, complaining seems to be like one of the biggest addictions that people have. It's just we find connectedness in talking and complaining about our negatives. And... The way that we break that is we're going to talk more about our joys and to turn our hearts more towards thanksgiving. In fact, Christian writer William Arthur Ward, he once said that a complaining tongue reveals an ungrateful heart. And it might sound cheesy, but a grateful heart is an open hand, and that's how you catch your next blessing. But an ungrateful, bitter, envious, malice heart is a closed hand. You can't catch nothing with that. The way that you catch your next blessing is to have a have a grateful heart. A grateful heart is how you catch that next solution, that piece of wisdom or that next experience in God. You've got to have a grateful heart. And oftentimes I will tell people, man, if, you're, if you see the cup is half empty, then get a smaller cup and move on. And it's not being insensitive. What I'm saying is that your, <laughs> what I'm saying is that your perspective and your lens dramatically influences your perspective and your direction in life. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. In other words, your life reflects what you see with your heart. When people complain to me about things, I often ask them, what are you telling me about God in this? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. An ungrateful heart reveals, well, a complaining tongue reveals an ungrateful heart. And I suppose that's why Paul says, Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is excellent, dwell on these things. Because your life reflects what you see with your heart. And so the way that we counter a complaining tongue is by turning our hearts towards thanksgiving. And we've always got something to be thankful for. You, you, a never-ending list. And you see, those who seem to be lifting up the world onward and upward are those who celebrate more than they do complain, are those who encourage more than they criticize, are those who lift up more than they tear down. So it's, it's attitude of heart again of mine. The fifth step, final step, to building spiritual fitness is to remember your why. So one of the first questions we ask individuals when they come with us is why. Why do you want to lose weight? Why do you want to train? What's the why behind it? And more times than not, it's for other people. Like Stacy, for example, it's, it's for family. I want to be around longer for the kids. I want to be healthier for the kids. I want to be around for great grandkids or whatnot. It's always about others. And the same as us when it comes to our faith. In verse 15, Paul says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. 
and I mentioned that at the start, the reason why we want to be spiritually fit is for the sake of others, so that we can shine well and hopefully light up their path in darkness and guide them to the light. It's always about others. It's always about others. And, and it's, because if you're not careful, you can be a Christian for yourself. It can be about you one day going to heaven, and it's about you feeling better about yourself, and yet it's about laying down your life and giving your life for others. It's always about others. And so we want to be spiritually fit so that we can shine well, know him well, but then so we can give people so much opportunity to see his life, to see his light, and to come to it as well. It's always about other people. I want people to, I really want people to encounter him, man. Like I, and people often say, bro, you're a bit too serious. Dude, do you think when I get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, man, you took me too serious? No way. And I know my heart in this. I know why I run the race the way that I do. And so it's, it's serious, it's intentional, it's deliberate, but it's so full of compassion. It's compelled by love. I'm moved of compassion. I want people to encounter him. I want people to know Jesus. Not the idea about him, or not just about him. I, and I don't want them to just know church and how Christians do things. I want them to know him. And so that's why we, the fifth step is remembering our why. Why do we want to be spiritually fit? for the sake of others, for the sake of other people. And just remember, and I, th I thought about this the other day, that this relationship that we have with God right now, it's a unique experience that we get for our time on earth only. Because after this, we'll be with him for eternity. But it's a unique privilege for now. And I don't know how you feel about that, but for me, I want to make the most of that because I'm not going to have this opportunity the way that it is now, forever. And so I personally want to make the most of this. And I, I, I just... I see, I hope that's, that's most of our heart as well. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill, he's a famous evangelist and author. He once said this, five minutes inside of eternity and we will wish that we had sacrificed more, wept more, loved more, grieved more, prayed more, and given more. The famous C.S. Lewis also said this. He said, don't shine so that others see you. Shine so that through you, others see him. I love that. You know, I mentioned at the start, I, I, I honestly want people to see Christ in me. I don't want them to see Lee, young dude up here who can talk. I just, I want, I really want people to, to see Jesus. I really want people to encounter him. This is a bonus step, and it's called the one-step shortcut. Now, in the fitness industries, people try to bring in these one-step shortcuts, like six-pack shortcuts, and they don't exist. Trust me, they don't exist. They're, they're fraud. <laughs> but in the kingdom, we have a one-step shortcut, and it's... If there's anything you're going to take away from today, let it be this one. And it's to hold fast the word of life. That's verse 16. The word hold fast there translates a word which means to hold your position or to hold your gaze. And the word of life referred to here is, is Jesus. Sammy, can you come up? And so obviously, well, in short, what it's saying is to hold your gaze at Jesus. Hold your gaze at Jesus. The one-step shortcut to doing all five of those steps, if you like, is to hold gaze at Jesus. We talk a lot about power and healing and words of knowledge and all these other things, but a topic that I, I really hear spoken about is intimacy with the Father. I do see it making a comeback, though. More and more people are speaking up, but I promise you, intimacy with the Father is where it all begins and ends, really. Everything starts there. If you're intimate with the Father, you will naturally lift weight. You will naturally measure your progress. You will trust the trainer. You will be patient. And you will always remember why. It's for the sake of others. And so it's holding fast the word of life. It's gazing at Jesus. Gazing at him and seeing him. Shortly after Billy Graham's 80th birthday, Larry King interviewed him and said, it must be rewarding to look back on your life 
and live without regrets. And this is what Billy Graham responded with. He said this. He said, I'm the greatest failure of all men. I was too much with men and too little with God. I was too busy with business meetings and even conducting services. I should have been more with God and people would have sensed God's presence about me when they were with me. For a man of that caliber to say that humbly and at his age of 80 as well at the time, that encourages me, that excites me and that reminds me and I hope it reminds us that the greatest success in all life is knowing Jesus. It's not just knowing about him. It's not just going to church on a Sunday and singing the songs and talking the Christian language or even getting up here and preach. You can do all that and still not know Him. You can have all your doctrine, all your theology, all your ducks in a row and still not know His presence. Oh man, I want to know His presence. I want to be people who know His presence, who know His love. And it starts from this place of gazing at Jesus. Because you can get distracted by the healings. You can get distracted by words of knowledge and movements of power. We can get distracted by the hand of God. But I want to see His face. I want to keep seeing his face and gaze at Jesus. Hold fast the word of life. Gazing at Jesus in this space, in this place, is where all life takes care of itself, if you get what I mean. It's gazing at Jesus. I want to leave us with this final quote, and it's this. The way that we shine in a dark world is by holding fast the word of life. You want to shine well, hold fast Jesus. Gaze at Jesus. Don't just do the Christian stuff and talk about the Christian stuff. Be with Him. Intimacy with Him. Alone in the secret place when nobody else is watching. Just you and Him, one-on-one. Intimacy with Him. And it reminds me heaps of Martha and Mary. You have Martha who's so focused on trying to feed Jesus, but then you have Mary who just wants to feed on Jesus. I like that. One was close to Him, one was not. One was near Him, one was not. One was looking at him, one was not. One was listening to him, one was not. One was right there with him, one was not. And Jesus says to Mary, you've chosen the better one. I want to be like Mary. I want to know him well. I want to hold fast the word of life. I want to gaze at Jesus like Billy Graham. I want to be more with him. Because if I be with him more, then I can be filled with him more. If I'm filled with him, then people can see. See his love, see his life in me. Father, we honor you. We love who you are. We love the way that you've loved us. And we thank you for this privilege of even being able to walk with you, even being able to co-mission with you on earth to bring people home back to you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for being so good to us. Help us to lift weight. Help us to put feet to our words, to take action, and help us to be willing and humble to measure our progress, to confront areas that need to be confronted, if they need to be confronted. And help us to trust you all the way, Father. Thank you for putting a willingness in us. Thank you for putting excitement in us to do your good pleasures. Thank you for everything that we have to be grateful for. Help us to always be grateful to turn our hearts towards gratitude always, to live in that place of gratitude. And thank you for always reminding us why we are here. No greater love than this than to lay down your life for another. We're not alive for me. We're not alive for ourselves, for our holy huddles. We're alive for you. To love you, be loved by you, and to love the world around us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you. Teach us to get good at being loved by you. 
and holding gaze at you, Father. Thank you so much. If any of these steps resonated with you in one way or spoke to you in one way, we'd love to pray for you. Regardless of which one, maybe you're here and you know that you need to put action to that which you claim or you really want to put action. Or maybe there's been areas of measuring progress. Things have come to light. Man, I need to deal with that. I need to confront with that. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe you just want uh, to stir that willingness that God's putting in you. He's molding your heart and you want to begin to do that. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe you have been like many others, addicted to just complaining. It's become a normal part of your life and you want to change it. We'd love to pray for you. Or maybe you just need to be reminded and you really want to just carry your cross and follow him. I want to follow Jesus and I want to get good at gazing him. I want to remember that I'm alive for others. If that's you, we'd love to pray for you too. So, Please feel welcome to come up. Other than that, it's, uh, our lovely kids will be ready. So more than welcome to go and fetch them. But if anybody would like prayer, please don't hesitate. We'd love to pray for you.